Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello, Kevin. Congratulations to Evan. His Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship last night. We didn't think they could ever do it. They had lost, what, 49 times in a row to Alabama? Was that it? <laughs> I think it was seven, though. I've kind of blocked the number out a little bit. Um, but I, the, the one number that I do recall is... 41, which is the number of years, apparently, that uh, Georgia had gone between national championships, which we found out after the game was the fifth longest streak among big programs. Um, So uh, it didn't just seem like forever to all of us Georgia fans. It actually pretty much had been forever. Yeah, it was. We're going to talk about the the national championship game here in a little bit, but but first we're going to get to some other matters, and we're going to welcome David Moore. Hello, David. Oh, Kevin. Hi. I must say, I, I didn't think Evan was nearly as insufferable as I feared he might be on social media last night with the wind, which which shows how he was gripped by it. He didn't. <laughs> it actually was. He, he kind of held it to what? himself, held it dear. Uh, yeah, I was uh, well, I very think, nervous all night. <laughs> I think Evan's just kind of naturally insufferable. He doesn't really have to go out of his way <laughs> to be insufferable. <laughs> No, I, I I will just say this that uh, it it was it was a reminder. Georgia's the one thing, and I, I tweeted this this morning. Georgia's the one sports team that I allow myself to become emotionally invested in because I don't have to worry about covering them or anything to do with them. Um, and it was a reminder last night just how fulfilling it is when you are legitimately emotionally invested in a team and you watch them all the way through and see them end up with a championship, what that feels like. And I know that's what Cowboy fans and Ranger fans and, and now for, for over a decade, Maverick fans have, have all wanted to go through again. And uh, it, it, it's good to have that appreciation again of, of, of what these fans and what readers uh, truly, truly want to experience. It, it, it is a good feeling. And it reminds you of, of, of what you're trying to chronicle for um for people who choose to read about that, those teams. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I think about it like uh, I remember sitting in the press box in the Rose Bowl when Texas won the national championship game. You know, I didn't go to Texas. Uh, obviously, I, I like to see, you know, the local teams win. Uh, everybody does. As a sports writer, you can admit that. That's fine. I'm not pulling for them to win, but I don't mind for them to win. It's, it'd be a good thing. But I remember when Vince Young ran across the goal line, I remember thinking Texas has won the national championship. This is unbelievable. I mean, because it had been so long since the, the the previous one. And I think that's the issue, especially in this, like when you're talking about Georgia, when you're, when you're talking about Texas, it's, it's like when you're being a parent and you get your kids something for you know, their birthday or their Christmas and you think they're just going to go crazy when they get this. This is going to be so great. And then they get it and they go, hey, thanks. And then I'm thinking, well, what the heck? You know, why, why were you more excited about getting this? And then I realized it's not like, it was when you were growing up and you got a pair of socks for Christmas, you know, and you waited years and years and years to get what it is, that whatever it was that you always wanted. And when you finally get it, you just broke down in tears and sobbed. They had to call the ambulance and take you away to the hospital because you were just so excited about having gotten that thing after being denied all those years. Your children don't have that perspective because they always get whatever they want, uh, or, or at least mine did. It just seemed like it. So in this case, when you when it's been 41 years since you won a national championship, that just makes it all the more unbelievable. It's just like, I, I, in my case, 
when this kind of happens, if it's one of my teams, which they never are. Uh, but I, I would think that the feeling would be just, just one of, I just don't believe it. I don't believe this actually. It, it took a few, and and then it is a, a there's a feeling of just overwhelming satisfaction that kind of just seeps through you. But it, what you just said, I think, is is right um, about fandom, and it reminds me of a line of a, of 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 all things from a Jimmy Buffett song in which he's singing about gumbo, and he says it's a little like religion and a lot like sex. You should never know when you're going to get it next. And I think that's kind of how fans should approach <laughs> championships. They shouldn't expect it every year. Championships are hard. And uh, it, it, it makes it a little bit more easy for fans to appreciate seasons in general if they take that in. And I think it makes it a lot much a lot easier to treasure championships when you, when you do win them if, if you approach it like that. Because nothing is guaranteed in this game. Nothing is guaranteed in, in, in any of these sports. And um, uh, they should be hard to win. And, and you, you should have to have gut punches like Georgia had during the game last night. Um, it, it just is all part of the story. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But let's, first of all, now, talk now about all the Cowboys. Now, I out of this was sex, religion, and socks. And I'm just trying to make the <laughs> connection between those three. Well, let's, let's, you can write something about and that gumbo. later. And yeah, gumbo. yeah. I got to write a column for tomorrow, and I still don't have an idea. And the, and the boss is <laughs> just beating on me about that. So uh, I may I may do that. I think I may combine all of those uh, together. Uh, so the Cowboys are in the playoffs, which is unusual enough. Uh, you know, it's been two years. Yeah, it's been two years. Two year absence. Yeah, so it's nice. Nice for the Cowboys to be back in the playoffs. Um, so uh, so they're. They, they moved up from the fourth seed to the third seed. David, I think you told us last week that they're going to be the fourth seed no matter what. Don't pay attention to anything else that happens this weekend, fourth seed. As readers will see from most of your columns, you took some hyperbolic liberties there. <laughs> I said I said they appeared to be boxed into the number four spot. And it was unlikely that they would be able to move up because of the confluence of events that would be required. Uh, That confluence came together, allowed them to bump up one spot. Um, You know, two would have been ideal, uh, but that would have been asking too much. Uh, And that was the the odds on that were very slim. In in fact, I I like the fact even you go in the final um, or the final like three or four minutes of that Rams and um, 49ers game where, you know, San Francisco had overcome a 17 point deficit, came back, was tied. And then they were down by, you know, then they were down um, and, and needed to score to get back to force overtime. At that point, when San Francisco punted, the Rams had to go three and out. Then San Francisco had to get the ball back to score and then basically win it in overtime at that point, with like three to four minutes left in the fourth quarter, the odds of San Francisco winning that game were 0.4%. Hmm. So that is how close you were. You were at 0.4% of having the scenario we actually talked about. So I will stand by what I said last week, sir. It was a pretty amazing finish to that game, I, I've, I've got to admit. that was Well, the whole game was, yeah. And San Francisco got back. You know, normally when teams get down 17-0, the only way they can get back in the game is throwing the ball. San Francisco went, nah, not so much. We're just going to continue to run it. And 
very, I don't know of any other team in the league that would get back into a game like that, just running uh, to, to reestablish uh, and get them back on, on, a, on a level playing field. Well, now Jimmy G did throw the ball for 317 yards, I think. So he, he did have a, a good game throwing the ball. He, he, they were opportunistic when they got the chance to, sure. uh, to throw the ball. And Debo Samuel is obviously quite a weapon, and uh, they got the ball to him. You know, that to me, that was the optimal Jimmy Garoppolo game. That's about as good as he's going to play. And sure. uh, if he continues to play that way, and if their defense continues to play as well as we know that it can, then the 49ers can make a lot of noise in the playoffs. I, I think uh, what we're going to talk about, first of all, here is the difference that quarterbacks make in the playoffs and where they rank. And and let's let's look at the, the seven quarterbacks who are on the NFC side of the playoffs. So so we got a guy named Tom Brady. Uh, we got a guy named Aaron Rodgers, who in any conversation of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of football would be in the top three, four. Dak's better than both of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, is that not where we're going with the segment? No, we're not going with that. We're not going with that scenario. You know, that's that's always the the the, the damage that that everybody suffers the proximity to greatness. You know, it, it'd been one thing if, if Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady had played 30 years ago, which I think Tom Brady did play 30 years ago. But, uh, but at any rate, when you, when you, you're playing now, everybody looks at you and go, you're not Tom Brady. You're not Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Well, no, neither is anybody else. Uh, so that's going to make this a very difficult road for the Cowboys, because even if they get past uh, the 49ers this week, which I think, Obviously, they can. They're they're a better team than the 49ers. Well, they're at home and they're the favorite, yeah, and they had a better record over the regular season. So Absolutely. And I, and I do I think, think it's a tough matchup for them, but we'll get into here in a little bit. But that doesn't mean Dallas can't and shouldn't win the game. No. I mean, really, when you look at it, uh, listen, uh, and Troy Eggman talked about this the other day on Channel 5. He, he said, I don't see a dominant team in the NFC side of the bracket. Uh, the Cowboys are as talented as any team in the NFC. Uh, I think overall that's probably true. Uh, everybody likes to say that about the Cowboys every year, and I don't think it's true, or I don't think it has been true. I think it is now with with the uh, the progress and, and the advent of Micah Parsons, Tra- you know Trayvon Diggs. Those guys have moved the Cowboys up a level here. But let's st- uh, let's talk about the quarterbacks here for a minute. So we got. So we got uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. I, I think, you know, Bruce Arians is trying to make the, the case that Tom Brady should be the MVP. He's thrown for a, a million yards this year. The the Bucks, I think that's, to me that's one of the Bucks' weaknesses that they rely too much on Tom Brady to win these games. Uh, but I do think that Aaron Rodgers uh, has had the better season overall uh, lifting the Packers. So I'm going to say that, uh, that uh, Aaron Rodgers is number one. Brady's number two. Number three. In the NFC side, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Kyler Murray. I think. What What do y'all think? Well, I I mean that's that's my rankings at this point. Um, I, I I think you know this kind of played off of a question that I saw on ESPN last week, in which they were ranking all the quarterbacks going into the playoffs, and and clearly that brought in Mahomes and Josh Allen into the picture, and we can discuss them in a little bit if you want. But I, I thought the the question that applied to the Cowboys was where does Dak rank in, among NFC quarterbacks? And you look at this group, and and I think the best argument you can make for him right now is 
is he better than Matthew Stafford? Is he number four with Stafford number five? And you want to talk about proximity bias. We're very close to that game that the Rams played on Sunday, and we saw Matthew Stafford's weakness, which is throwing the ball up and showing off his arm and throwing it deep uh, and getting a high percentage of, of interceptions. And, and 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 those were those were bad bad mistakes on his part. Um, I, I think that that Dak can be the fourth best quarterback going into this. He's a little bit more mobile. I think Kevin, you and I have, have been on this case for forever. If if Dak will run a little bit more, nobody's asking him to scramble around like Kyler Murray. But if he'll run a little bit more, I think it makes him that much more dangerous, and it makes him. A, I, I think you can make a case for him as a fourth best quarterback. But that all gets back to this. You're still going to have to beat both Rodgers and Brady in all likelihood on the road to get to the Super Bowl. David, what about you? Where, where do you have him ranked? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, if you want to put him fourth now in the NFC or fifth, either one, uh, I think that's what you do. I would argue that this is what this time of year does. It changes the order of the quarterbacks. Um, you know, Dak Prescott has only one postseason win. You can't continually, if we're still having this argument two, three years down the road, and he still only has one or two postseason wins, he's going to rank in the bottom strata of what the playoff teams are. So this is where, this is where you increase, you know, improve your stock that this is where you move up from fourth or fifth and have this debate to where, um, next year you go into the postseason, you go, well, um, you know, there's only one quarterback or two quarterbacks in the NFC that are definitely better than him. So this increases their odds. So to me, that's why this is an important, um, look, it's important anytime you get in the postseason, I get it. But I mean, as far as Dak kind of establishing himself that he is a franchise quarterback, that the club made the right decision in attaching their immediate and long-term future to him, that he can make a difference. This is where you're going to do it because they've been a very good road team. And look, let's talk about it for a second. You mentioned if they win this game, then they play in Tampa Bay. Well, what happened in the opening game of the season? They came down and lost that by a field goal and easily could have won that game. And they established themselves right away as, well, maybe this team's a little better than what we thought they were. And how did that game end? Dak Prescott went up to to Tom Brady and said, we're looking forward to facing you guys again. Well, what do you think that would do for his reputation if Dallas is able to go into Tampa Bay and they win that game? Uh, So to me, this is what's going to be interesting. And and we'll go into the debate about just where Dak um, ranks. It's up up to Dak Prescott and, and this Cowboys team which everyone in the locker room has told us repeatedly over the last six weeks, this is a special team. Well, you know, you, if you say you're a special team and then you're one and done, um, that kind of undercuts your argument. And I think it actually lowers uh, your estimation in, in the eyes of fans. So uh, I think Dak's reputation has a lot riding on uh, what this team does in the postseason. I think everything about this Cowboys team does because, look, uh, David, you and I picked them to win 10 games. We were the only ones that had them in double figures on, on our staff. Uh, yeah. they, they did they did us two better than that. Uh, they, they proved that this was a much better defense. They, uh, they We saw a lot of different problems on offense, but for all the problems they had, they were still 
one of the highest scoring teams in the league. They set Cowboys and set a records. franchise record for points in the season. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously they had 17 games to do it, but still they, they did it and they, they pot up a lot of points, but it doesn't matter if you don't win in the playoffs. Now it, I'll go back to the sixties and seventies when they were next year's champions, you know, remember all that and the Cowboys were good. And, and that's what eventually drove Don Meredith into retirement was the fact that he could not get them over the hump. Uh, and, and, and everybody loved Don Meredith. Uh, well, a lot of people did. he got booed a lot too, but, uh, it wasn't enough. You know, it's not enough to do what you do in the, during the regular season. Uh, I still get a lot of stuff from fans and readers who tell me that Dak's not good enough. No matter what you see, uh, if you look at their record during the regular season, I went back and checked there this year, they were three and four against teams that are in the playoffs, uh, that, that they played two of those three wins were against the Eagles. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, they beat they beat the Patriots, and that's that's the, the the lone win they have over a team in the playoffs. Now, a 3-4 and four record is not awful against playoff teams. Uh, it'd be better if they'd been 4-3, and three, obviously, had a winning record. Uh, but that's been the issue all year long. They beat up on bad teams. They've struggled against good teams. But, Kevin, Kevin now, to that point, and I did this exercise like with winning records about a week ago, right? And I think the only team in the NFC that stood out on that was was Green Bay. And you do have, you know, that if anything, that kind of nods me towards Green Bay being a dominant team. But that's it. I mean, you, you the rest of the teams have basically been 500 or worse against other teams with winning records. And, and, and I think that creates some opportunity for the Cowboys in that, they're right there with everybody else. I mean, they're not, they're not, I don't think that that indicates that they're trailing a bunch of the other playoff teams. No, I don't think so either. That's just what we talked about at the very top was that, listen, there, there are no dominant teams here. I think the Packers are the best team uh, because of Aaron Rodgers uh, and because they've got a home field advantage. That's going to be difficult. It's not impossible. If you went back and look, I, I saw a stat the other day about t- uh, how uh, Green Bay has done uh, in uh, in Green Bay in the postseason, and really they don't have an, a decided advantage. You would think they would. I personally think that with, if the Cowboys were to get to the NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field, that they would be at a disadvantage. I think this this is a team that likes playing in, in domes, likes playing in warm weather. You introduce really the bad weather of, of Green Bay in January. Uh, I think that's going to be a significant issue for the Cowboys should they get that far. But uh, you know, right now. Uh, to, to David's point, they, if if uh, if Dak gets them to the NFC Championship game, Cowboys fans have no complaints coming. Uh, I think that if that's as far as they would get, they've got no complaints coming, and he would have proven that he is the quarterback that uh, that the Cowboys hope that he is by paying that forty million dollars a year. Well, and that's the ceiling over the last twenty six years, right? They can't get past the divisional playoff round. Well, this year, if they get to the divisional playoff round. They're going to be facing Tampa Bay in Tampa. And so now then you can well, go, we assume. well, who expects them to beat Brady in the defending champion? We well, yeah, yeah, it's Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, Tampa plays Philadelphia. And, and that's, how, that's a hard one to sell how the Eagles are going to win that game. But, but I do think this is a different – the whole dynamic with Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is holding on to get back to the Super Bowl, where last year they were surging to get to the Super Bowl. And, no, you know, I, I think there, there's – and they have some key injuries as well. I think this is a – and to me, if you're going to catch a defending champion, the earlier you do it in the playoffs, the more likely it's going to happen. Because uh, I think once a defending champion gets closer to a chance to repeat, it's harder to beat them. 
So I think any team that does beat Tampa Bay, it's you know, it's more likely in the in the first two rounds. Although I say that, and then having to go to Green Bay would be quite a game. So, it? yeah. I, what is the one thing that concerns you guys that could trip the Cowboys up this week and keep them and, and, and keep them from advancing, Kevin? I think they got to stop the run. They, you know, that's what uh, the 49ers want to do. They want to run the ball. They know that they can't that. They can't get uh, Jimmy Garoppolo can't get in a, a duel with Dak Prescott because of all the weapons that, that Dak has. I mean, I mean Garoppolo has Debo Samuel, who is certainly uh, a terrific wild card in any kind of game because of all the different things he can do. Uh, but he just doesn't have as many weapons uh, as Dak has. So, uh, and the Cowboys ha- have trouble stopping the run. They have, for all the things that the defense has done this year. Uh, and all the advances it's made and turnover margin and, and everything that that has been able to produce with Dan Quinn's defense, they're still not great at stopping the run. Uh, and uh, I could really see that becoming an issue in this game. David? I, I agree with that completely. I'll, I'll do a slight variation on that that kind of plays off of that. Um, yeah, I think they are going to run the ball. You know, they wanted to, you know, they want to run it between 30 and 40 times, which a lot of teams don't do. And uh, I've thought the run defense has been the weak defensive link for Dallas all season. There just haven't been a lot of teams built to sustain it and do it. Uh, San Francisco is. So, and, and if you're running more, your chance to get turnovers or sacks, interceptions drop, which is a big part of the Cowboys identity. So, if you accept that the run game, the San Francisco run game is going to be problematic for Dallas, I will go to the next level on that and say their third down defense is going to be crucial because they're not as likely to get as many turnovers in this game as they have over the course of a season because of how San Francisco plays. Um, so now it's going, and they give up more big plays, 20 yard plays, than most good defenses in this league. So, but the one thing they have done well all year is third down defense. They've gotten the other teams off the field on a high rate, which I don't think has gotten enough recognition. And one game they didn't do it, and it came back to bite them, was the Arizona game. You know, if they would have been better on third down, they still would have had a chance to win that game, and I don't think it would have gotten away from them early. So I'm going to go on their third down defense under the assumption that San Francisco will be able to run at a – at a meaningful level against them, they won't have the turnover opportunities, takeaway opportunities they normally have. So they're going to have to be better on third down and get the ball back to their offense. Guys, I, I'm going to go back to what I think has been the issue all season for this team, and that's self-inflicted wounds, um, whether it's in the form of penalties or in the form of missed kicks. Uh, I think Greg Zerloin has missed 11 kicks altogether between field goals and PATs. Is that right, David? Six? Maybe up to 12 now. At least 11, maybe 12. Yeah. Um, that That's alarming. That's the next extra point. That's alarming. Yeah. Um, and the fact that this team leads the NFL in, in most penalties against. They've had 127 penalties. Um, it's 25 more than San Francisco going into this game. Uh, and and it, it's significant. And I... I that offensive line with the number of holding calls that they've had has just stymied so many drives from ever getting started. So these are two things that I think the Cowboys have the ability to be sharper in. Um, They control this. And 
if they can play a little bit cleaner, particularly on the front, on, on the penalty front, I think it's going to uh, change the complexion of the game. It's not going to allow San Francisco to hang around quite as long. All right, we're going to have to wrap up this Cowboys segment before we get out, though. I want everybody to give us a score. So, uh, David, what's your what's your score of this week's game? Well, I will say I believe Dak ranks ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo on our quarterback list. So yeah. uh, that, that nods in their favor. I think – I do think it's a very difficult matchup because I think San Francisco can expose Dallas's run game. But – you see how this coaching staff has responded all season. You, you've, you know, I, I think Dan Quinn knows Mike Shan, uh, Kyle Shanahan, excuse me, the uh, the San Francisco coach, and how he attacks the defense from their time together in Atlanta. I'm going to say, well, I haven't given a lot of thought to score, but I'm going to say Cowboys twenty-seven to twenty-one. Okay, Evan, what you got? I was probably going to be a lot more definitive on the Cowboys until David started like talking me down off of that. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think this offense is going to function. Um, and I, I, I think the emergence of Cedric Wilson has really been a lifesaver um, in the absence of Michael Gallup. And, and I, I think that there's some, there's some chemistry there. I, I'm going to give the Cowboys a 30 point, um, a 30 point score. I, I've got them winning 30 to 20. 30 to 20. Okay. Well, you're, you're counting on uh, Greg uh, Zerloin. That's Zerline, by the way. Not, he's not no, a, it's Zerloin, like the steak. I ordered a nice <laughs> Zerloin the other day at Bob's Steak and Chop House. <laughs> you know, my son did the same thing. Is there some problem with that, with, with, with the, the thinking of Zerloin and Zerline? <laughs> I think that's what the, the deal is. Anyway, all right, I'm going to say Cowboys 24-21. Uh, so we're all, we're all on the Cowboys side. We're all in lockstep here. When they lose, we'll just rip them. So week. predictable. Yeah, Very exactly. quickly, we're talking about the Dallas run defense and the, the San Francisco run game, the threat it poses. I, I will say that the Dallas passing game should be able – there will be plays to be made against the, the Niners secondary. So that that's the offset on the other side. Uh, yeah. They I should think they're be gonna, able to hurt Yeah, the they're going to pass to set up the run in that game, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it's what you're going to see them try to do. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment. We're going to move on now. We'll uh, talk about uh, the uh, – we already talked a little bit about that national championship game last night. But I want to. I want us to look at uh, does this change anything, Alabama losing to Georgia? Uh, does, that, does that give anybody hope? Or is it the fact that, you know, Alabama just won it all last year? How many times do you want them to win it in a row? I think it, I, I mean, I do think it gives, gives some hope. Um, again, Alabama lost to a fellow SEC team. I don't know that that's going to necessarily change the balance of power in the SEC, but I think it does certainly serve notice that there is another SEC power. I'm not so, sh- I'm not sure how much, how much more that can get uh, Kirby Smart in terms of recruiting since they've been a top five recruiting program since he's been there. Um, but I, I think getting over that hump is significant. I think the people that it impacts most are A&M, Texas, and Oklahoma, because this is just, a, you know, A&M's always going to have the Alabama um, issue in the SEC West. Uh, I think the, the, the Georgia being a national champion only allows them to continue to expand their recruiting borders, perhaps more deeply into Texas. Uh, and for Oklahoma and Texas, it just serves notice that they're coming into a conference in which they're not going to be the dominant programs. They will be 
uh, upper tier programs, but certainly not at the top rung. And, and um, I, those are those for me are the people that are most impacted by by what happened last night. I think there will be another round, and we always have this, another round of conversation about how large should the playoff field be. I've never given that a, a ton of thought. Um, I just went back when we when we were looking at this, Kevin, and, you know, again, this year, your, your playoff margins in the semifinals were three touchdowns apiece in both semifinal games. Um, and the national championship game has traditionally been a 15-point spread between the winner and the loser. My point is, I, I feel like the committee has gotten it right, and I think it's still the right number of teams at this point. Um, I don't know that I see a, 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 a need for expansion. I, I suppose Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State or Baylor would like to say something about that at this point in time, but I, I just don't see it. David, what do you think? Well, just to start at the expansion talk, um, I mean, I think it's very clear who the top two teams were this year uh so expanding it wouldn't have settled that issue um i i what what strikes me when you talk about expansion the, the argument for expanding a field usually is always on the exceptions or what you feel was a worthy team that got left out but i think if you look at it historically really what you do when you expand a playoff field is you allow more teams that really have no shot of winning a national title into the mix. Um, so are you expanding the field for the uh, 5 to 10% exception year in and year out? Or um, should you just keep the, the integrity of the field the way it is? Um, look, you know... I, there are market forces in play too, right? Yeah, I was going to say, let's not forget the real reason for expanding the, the playoff, which is more money for everybody. Yeah, and, and you keep uh, a section of the fan base engaged longer. Um, you know, even if they know they don't have a chance to win a championship, uh, the excitement of, well, hey, what if we beat a couple of teams here and, and go around, you know, no one expects us to win this one game. So what what happens if we win this one game? So... You know, from a marketing standpoint, you're 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 selling uh, anticipation and excitement, and you're keeping more fans nationally engaged longer. So from that point, from that standpoint, it will happen. But competitively, I don't know that it's really going to alter uh, who you have. I, I think the numbers now account for uh, the best teams now. With Cincinnati, one of the top four, you could probably put another team in there. But the team, whatever team you wanted to put in there, Kevin, would they have gotten to the national championship game last night instead of Alabama or Georgia? Yeah, I think that the whole argument about who's going to win, you know, could these teams actually beat those teams anyway? Aren't we just trying to get to, to, to the best team and who's the champion anyway? I think that was, you know, that was always the argument forever, right? Uh, before we had any kind of playoff, before we had the BCS, is that we just want to crown a national championship, a real one, uh, you know, we want to have the best team. Well, 
We're all tired of that now. We're all tired of figuring out who the best team was. It's always somebody from the SEC. So the argument of, of the rest of college football is let's make it at least more fun for everybody else. You know, if, if everybody else is going to lose to somebody from the SEC, let's at least give them a, a little bigger stake in the pie, you know, a little, little more money here, a little more excitement, because there are a number of things that can happen out of a 12-team playoff. And let's, let's talk about that real briefly, about why it's 12 instead of eight. It's 12 because – that's what the SEC wants. The SEC feels like we're already doing great, right? With four teams, we're getting one or two teams in every year. So if we get to eight, that's not going to really uh, – that's just going to incorporate some other schools. If we get to 12, then you got to take more of us. You know, Then there's going to be two or three of us in the playoff, then maybe even four in a 12-team playoff. And that, So that's why the SEC was signing off on the 12-team playoff. That's one of the reasons why, because what happened – with, by taking Texas and Oklahoma, that's why everybody else shut down and said, all right, we're not giving the SEC what it wants. You know, We'll just stop all this talk about expansion or, or at least to a 12-team field. But the benefits of a 12-team field are, what do we have in bowl games now? First of all, nobody pays any attention to the other bowl games. If you have 12 teams, now you're incorporating more bowls into that structure. You're making these games more viable for everybody. They actually mean something now. It's not just a game to go to and have fun and go to the beach and whatever. Uh, and then secondly, uh, it, it, along those same lines, you're going to get fewer players saying, you know what, I'm out. You know, I'm not going to the bowl game. I'm not going to become Jalen Smith, blow out my knee and ruin my NFL career. You know, if you're in a playoff, you're not going to see players doing that. They, they'll stay with their teams then. It'll be too much pressure from within for them to go ahead and play. So from the best, uh, the, the best players on the best teams will still be in the actual playoff. And third, uh, well, I'm going to make four points. Uh, uh, the next point is going to be that you're going to make a team play teams more often. What did we see happen this year? Alabama beat Georgia convincingly in the SEC championship game. There was no reason to think that, and at least I didn't think, that Georgia was going to come back in the national championship game and win that. I just didn't think Stetson Bennett was good enough. I mean, like it was one of the one of the funniest things to see in last night. I saw a, a quote from uh, uh, Joel Klatt saying that if if TJ, uh, um, I've forgotten his last name now, uh, Evan, the back, the other quarterback. Oh, JT Daniels. Georgia. JT Daniels. I'm sorry, TJ. JT Daniels. If he's walking, why is he not playing? You know, and then. Five minutes later, you know, all of a sudden, Ben has just turned the entire thing around, and those look like the worst tweets in America, you know. So that was really funny to watch that. So there's always a possibility that something can happen here. But my fourth point is I watched Hoosiers the other day, all right? How many times have you watched Hoosiers? It's, you know, it's really, all things considered, a pretty good sports movie, just simply because of the fact that all of those guys could play basketball, except for Ollie. He was terrible. But everybody else could actually play basketball, so that made it watchable. Uh, but the deal is, is that you're not talking about one of these teams winning every year. You, you don't need a Cinderella to win every year. When Milan beat Crispus Attucks, if they'd played 10 times, Crispus Attucks would have beaten them nine out of those 10 times. They beat them once. And so that lasts forever. So really that Cinderella story of somebody rising up and winning that game, we don't expect that to happen, you know, for maybe 10 or 15 years. We're just... We're just going for the one time it does happen. We'll make a movie about it, and we'll be good for the next fifty. So that's my point. I, I Evan, your rebuttal. I, 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 you know, 
I could see a situation in which you you enlarge the playoff field to some extent um, to account for some other teams, but I, I also feel like there's got to be a significant advantage to the to those top four. Um, and if you want to make them all have to be conference champions, that's fine in my mind. That would have put Georgia in a different bracket this year in which they would have had to fight their way back in. But um, I, 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 I do agree with the idea of bringing some more importance back to the other bowls or more of them. Uh, I, I, I can't speak to, you know, the idea of players playing all the way through. Um, you just don't, you know, you just don't want to see what you had happen last night, you know, with, with Williamson. Um, uh, but I, 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 I could see the idea of more bulls creating some more good um, storylines and bringing a little bit more importance to the bulls. I just don't feel like those teams that spend the entire year playing in premier conferences and playing uh, some premier non-conference opponents, I don't think they should be on equal ground with, with, with teams that don't win those conferences or, or those conference championships. Yeah, we can certainly make the point that, uh, you know, and that's and that's the case, right? We see fans that will say, well, this team is undefeated. Cincinnati's undefeated. You know, they have to be in the in the in the playoff in the playoffs, right? Yeah, until the fact that you you look at it and look at who they've been beating all this time. You know, it's a lot easier to win those games when you're playing the kind of teams that they're playing. You know, when you had to play these teams every week, when these are NFL caliber players, when you're beating your heads against these kind of guys week after week after week. Uh, that just that takes a, a cumulative toll. Uh, and I think that's the thing that that people don't take into consideration is that it's just a pounding. It's a beating to play these kind of teams all the time. If you're not having to play that, it's not as hard. So, Well, very quickly, just expanding the field. If you look at the at the basketball tournament, obviously we're not talking about going to 64. But what oh, let's go to the, 64. What the heck? Right. Let's do it. But, but really – you take the tournament as a whole, but when you break it down year in and year out, when you get excited about the Cinderella stories or the or the ones that really charge you up and go, oh my gosh, anything can happen. When does it usually happen? In those very in those first round games. Oh, absolutely. Or, or you know, the second round, and then they're gone, and then slowly you whittle down to what you always knew the primary story would be. And if you added uh, another round to uh, the college football playoffs, that is what you would get. You would get some upsets in that first week where you go, oh, wow, this is, I mean, can they? Should, should we be talking about that? And then they get to the next round, you go, well, no, we shouldn't. But for a whole week, you imagined a reality that you never imagined. But by the time you get to the final four, David, what you're saying, by the time you get to the final four, you get once in a generation of George Usually. Washington or once in 25 years of, of Villanova. Yeah. Yeah, but it usually comes down to at least at least three of the four teams you thought would be there were there and are going to determine it. But but you do have a, a peripheral level of excitement around that first those first and second round games. And if you expand the the college football playoff to the right amount, I think you would have that as well. You would have Cincinnati's winning a game in there instead of you know losing, and you go, oh wow, you know, and and it will just. Uh, it would be interesting, which is why it will happen, because I think that is the reason it will happen, because that also puts more money in more coffers. 
Yeah, we could have just stopped with that. It'll happen because there's, there's more money. Yeah, so I, that, I inverted that. It was actually the money in the coffers yeah, thing was you, first, you buried the lead. second, and third. We're used to that, though. Okay, uh, that's going to do it for our college segment. We're going to move on now to the Rangers because Evan talked to somebody. Uh, he talked to a player, an actual player, and so Evan wants to tell us all about that. Evan, tell us who you talked to. I mean, I think the, the you're burying the lead there. Where I, I was able to talk to a player who might actually be on the 2022 opening day roster, and the Rangers were actually able to talk about said player. Um, that being well, well, first of all, you you have to you have to explain what the opening. When day is the opening be. day roster? What's opening that? day going to be? July, Listen, August. Listen, don't bog me down in details like that. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever they open the season, um, but the Rangers had six of their top prospects in yesterday. Who are, none of whom are on the 40-man roster because of the lockout uh, into Arlington for what was called a development camp, but it was more of a, a one-day leadership seminar uh, because these are guys that they've all identified as being both elite on the talent level and, and guys that they feel like can be nucleus guys. And um, and among that group, Josh Young was there. And, and, and I just feel like, you know, we are sitting here right now um, looking at this roster and the opportunity for Josh Young to open the season as the Rangers third baseman is clearly there. But what I think is different this year and in the philosophy going forward is that the Rangers are not necessarily clearing a path for Josh Young, that they're not guaranteeing him a spot on the opening day roster. He's going to go to camp and he's going to compete, but he's going to have to win the job. And I, I think there's two things that go into this too, guys, is, is one, they're giving him a chance to win a job because he legitimately performed last year. We have seen over the last decade, too many Rangers prospects basically get passes from level to level and from minor leagues to the big leagues, Leody Tavares being one example. I think Joey Gallo to some extent being another uh, of guys who have not excelled at a minor league level. And the Rangers operating premise was they'll respond to the challenge. And then the challenge overwhelmed them. Well, Josh Young had a 990 OPS last year, double A AA and triple A. And, and you go back the last decade and the Rangers haven't had a player do that. Not since Chris Davis did as an age appropriate prospect at a higher level. Um, and, and I, Chris Davis had his flaws and, and, you know, his career is probably over a little bit before it should have, but this is a guy who hit 300 home runs in the big leagues. And you get a decade worth of a player uh, out, of, out of a draft, you've, you, you've done well. Uh, I, I think that, that talking to Josh yesterday, I think he understands very much the situation in which he's in, and that is that he's going to have to beat out Isaiah kiner falefa to win third base. He's going to have to beat him out performance-wise. And... He may very well be well suited to do that, but let's not fa- let's not forget the fact that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was a Gold Glove winner at third base in 2020, and he's been as reliable and consistent a player as the Rangers have had the last two years. He's legitimate competition, so I think all of that, and I think Josh's approach when he says, "I love the competition, I live for the competition, and I look forward to this competition." lets me know that this guy's head is in the right place. And when you couple it with the fact that the guy has actually succeeded, I think he's in a good place to be to be successful. Um, and that, I think, is a big difference from where the Rangers have been in recent years. 
Right, now, let me ask you this, because I, I agree with all of that. Uh, you know, that's been the aggravating thing about the Rangers is to think that if a, a guy has not performed in the minors, what makes you think he's going to perform in the majors? I just don't, I don't get that, uh, that philosophy, because Leody is the perfect example of a guy who's hit no better in the big leagues than he did when he's in the minor leagues. And I don't know why you think he would all of a sudden. It just doesn't make any sense. But uh, because – uh, in the short sample size we have, but also we have because of his, what he did in college. Josh Young has been a proven hitter. He's hit wherever he's been. Uh, the last time I saw a, a Rangers prospect like that was Willie Calhoun, who probably unfairly so has been, you know, there've been so many injuries, uh, uh, the crushed jaw, the broken hand, all those kind of things that has made it very difficult for him. So I'm not going to make a judgment on his career yet. Uh, I, I, I still think that Willie Calhoun will hit in the big leagues. Uh, just because that's what his track record is. It suggests that, that this is what he can do. Uh, but let me ask you this. Let's say that Josh has a big spring. Would the Rangers really be tempted to stick him out there, or would they do what the Royals did with Bobby Witt, and they say, nah, we don't start that clock yet. Let's let's uh, let's." Play. No, I, I think this team would be willing to stick him out there. They have, in the past, shown a willingness to start the clock before it necessarily has to be started. And I think the Rangers are also in a position where they want to show significant improvement on the field this year. They've got their nucleus of guys in the middle in Semyon and Seager, and they may not be done yet. And I think they'd have no problem coupling Josh Young with that. Uh, and if Josh plays well, it opens up some possibilities that, you know, the Yankees are still in the market for a shortstop and, and, and could could be a potential um, trade partner uh, on Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Or you could legitimately turn Isaiah Kiner-Falefa into that super utility guy that you've always really wanted to have, a real super utility guy who's an asset by playing multiple positions. Um, maybe even incorporating some outfield work as as, as well. So um, I don't think that there's – I don't think that I would put any qualifiers on this competition. I think it is go out and play. I, I think the Rangers will be more than willing to give Josh Young the third-base job if he earns it. But it comes down to it, – it, it comes down to meritocracy at this point in time, and, and, and that's going to be proven on the field in, in, in how um, – how he carries himself, uh, you know, in terms of doing his work. I think that's one thing the Rangers have no concerns about with either Josh Young or Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Both of these guys are are really, really dedicated guys and 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 do eat up the work. You know, one of the things that that uh, the Rangers talked about with these with these young players yesterday was they had Donnie Ecker, their bench coach, in who's who's also the offensive coordinator. And they asked for some feedback from these players on what the Rangers could do better. And Young's Young's input was, we want more information. We this he is part of this generation that has digested information and lived on data and made himself better with the data. These guys can handle it, and he actually had the gumption to say, "Give us more. Give us more of these tools. These are resources. Let us use them." So I, I think that there's going to be no concern with Josh Young taking the information or the processes that are given to him and applying that to, uh, uh, to improving himself. 
Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to, you know, the question always is you don't want to bring a guy up and let him be overwhelmed uh, and then he, he he regresses because of that. I don't think that, that Josh shows any of those characteristics. I think he, he all the things you just said are, are what we've heard about him, uh, that he's this kind of guy, uh, smart guy uh, who's, who's done everything he wanted him to, to do, has adjusted his swing somewhat and has approached it to play a little bit instead of going the opposite way all the time, develop a little pull power. He's a, a good enough fielder, a guy that, you know, that they in college, they moved him from third base to shortstop when they had a problem there, and he handled that without a problem. So I, I think this is a guy who can probably handle all those things. And I think that the, the bigger issue for the Rangers is that uh, they want to make a big leap here. You know, w- we know that they're not going to be contending for, a, 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 you know, a, a run in the, in the postseason here, and they're not going to make the postseason this year. But – they need to get up to close to 80 wins, I think, so they can make the next big jump in 2023. Uh, and I, and then when they should be able to be a competitive at that point. And I think to do that, they're going to have to get more than just production out of that middle infield. Uh, they're going to have to get production everywhere uh, that they can get it. And they have to, and you, and you have to maximize these, the, the money you just invested in these two guys uh, and the money they're going to invest in other players as well. You can't just let this, a whole year melt off of their contracts and they were terrible. You know, this team has to make a big jump this year. The new guys had to be a part of that. They had to, well, they have to be a part of it because you couldn't have done it without the new guys. There wasn't anything there to to make a leap with. So this is very important this year to me. The Rangers had to get close to 80 wins. They had to take whoever they can get to get them to that point and make them more competitive. There's, there's no turning back. There's none of this. Well, let's run this guy out here and see how he plays. You know, there's going to be none of that. I think the only spot on the field where you might be able to say that is at catcher. And that's simply because you can't fix everything in one year. You've got a catching prospect in Sam Huff who you think, if he can stay healthy, is a legitimate asset at catcher. And so I could see the Jose Trevino-Jonah Heim situation, especially given that they're an asset in terms of framing pitches and getting some calls for, for pitchers right now. I can see that continuing to play out. But otherwise, yeah, it's either step up or you're going to be stepping out and and and, and out of the program, out of the uh the plans here. I like that step up or step out. I like it. Be good. It's time for us to step out now. It's time for us to step out. Speaking of which, nice segue there. I think that's going to do it for us this week. We appreciate everybody coming in. Make sure you tune in. Like this time next week, we'll be talking about whether the Cowboys uh, are, are moving on to uh, maybe Tampa Bay. We don't feel like they'll be playing in Philadelphia. David says there's no way the Eagles can beat uh, the Bucks. So when that happens, boy, we'll just <laughs> barbecue David. It'll be if great. you want to take the other side, go, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not next, taking next week on this podcast, we'll be talking about whether or not we're saying, how about them Cowboys, instead of what we're saying this week, which is, how about them dogs? No, we weren't saying that this week. Yeah, that's right. No more dog talk next week for sure. And and and, and by the way, before we get back next week, wa- wash that Georgia t-shirt that you're wearing, okay? Don't wear it every day. All right. Guys, we gotta we we gotta head out. This was uh, it was good talk. I enjoyed it with you guys, and hopefully next week Callie will be back. She was off this week, and we'll have some Mavs talk. See if they remain undefeated in 2022, um, and we'll have some playoff football to talk about. So long, everybody. <laughs>